What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew. Coming to you from the past slash future, because I think when this episode airs, we will have just done our Roll for Charity stream, and I'm hoping that it has been a huge success. Uh, We're going to cross our fingers for that, but if you were involved in that in the past, which hasn't happened yet when we're recording this, thank you ahead of time for the thing you already did. Anyway, it's, 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 it's a whole thing, so we're going to assume that it was plenty of fun. But yeah, this is a great show, I think. It is actually an Emmy-nominated show as of the recording of this episode, so that's pretty cool. So we are potentially award-winning in a couple weeks. But if you have not listened before, this show is basically a good excuse for me to talk to cool people in the Dungeons & Dragons tabletop gaming community about the cool stuff they're doing, the games they play, how they got into those games, and what they enjoy about playing these games that we all love. So that's what this show is about. And of course, this show is brought to you each and every week by my friends at awesomedice.com. If you like dice that are awesome, this is a place for you. Go to awesomedice.com to get some awesome dice. Use the code ROLLPERSUASION at checkout. Save 10%. They'll support the show. You'll get dice. Everybody wins. We like it that way. My very cool guest this week is literally coming to me from the future because he is in London right now where he lives. Uh <laughs> Far, far away from where I am. Um, so it is nighttime for him. It is afternoon time for me. But I'm very excited to welcome Mark Humes to the show. What's going on, man? Oh, thank you very much. Very cool guest is a way I love to be introduced. I don't think it's very factually true, but I do appreciate it nonetheless. Put it on um, your business card, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very cool. Very cool guy. Uh, but yeah, no, thanks for having me, man. Like, uh, it's cool. It's cool to chat. This has been the most difficult interview podcast to arrange in the world with everything going on in the world and <laughs> it our has lives. been crazy um but i'm glad that we could make it happen yeah I'm, I'm very excited to chat about everything you've going on uh for the people out there who might not know who you are g- give me a quick rundown who you are what do you do uh you in a nutshell let's say 30 to 73 seconds i'm okay. tiny right now right go uh so i am mark humes i'm the dungeon master for high rollers which is a UK-based D&D Twitch show, live stream, YouTube, all of that good stuff. Um, we have been going for four years now, I want to say. Um, one of the the slightly bigger D&D streams out there that you might have heard of. Uh, I am also Kaliana on Critical Role. If you watch that show, I'm sure most of you do. Uh, and I guested uh, as, as Kaliana in Campaign 2 for that. Um, I've popped up in a few other D&D shows, um, the Wizards of the Coast stuff. I've been at D&D Live. Um, and I generally have my own little little corner of the internet, my Twitter and my Patreon and stuff where I talk about D&D and anything else, everything and anything else that I'm into. So Exactly 71 seconds, so that worked perfectly. <laughs> so, so it's safe to say that you enjoy D&D, you enjoy gaming. Oh, um, yes. we're, we're video chatting right now. You've got shelf full of uh, D&D <laughs> source books behind you and, and board games and weapons and all basically all the stuff that nerds really really love so yeah. you, you've been you've been uh, into this stuff for a while i would assume oh yes yes very much my shelves it's funny you comment on them whenever i do my streams and new people come in it's one of the first things people ask me about they're like hey where did you buy these shelves they're really cool uh, or they're like <laughs> trying to analyze like what books and things i've got on right display. right um, but yeah i've been i've been into this stuff since i mean since forever like when i was a little kid it was playing pretend in like the back garden and running around with dustbin lids and, and sticks pretending to be swords and shields. Then it moved on to things like Warhammer and going to the, the Games Workshop store and playing Warhammer with my friends. Um, then it was getting into things like MUDs, multi-user dungeons, like the old text-based MMOs back in the day. 
um, MMOs and then D&D RPGs and all of that stuff came in as well. Um, and yeah, ever since, it's just been my number one go-to hobby. It's how I've made friends when I moved to like a new town or I started a new job. There would always be a bunch of nerds and I'd be like, hey, have you guys ever played D&D or like, do you guys have any, you know, RPG stuff that you do? And that would normally be my way of, of getting in and, and making friends with everyone. Um, so yeah, this stuff has been a huge part of my life forever. And I think the fact that I was, I wanted to be an actor when I was younger, I did theater, I did stage, not that you could possibly tell, um, but all of that stuff just kind of all mashed together and, and ended right. me up where I am today. Yeah. Do you have kind of a uh, early or pivotal memory of of playing a specific game, one of the games that you mentioned where you were like, oh, this is something that like I'm all into? Or was it just really kind of like you described just a gradual like, oh, yeah, step by step and now you're immersed? It's a funny one. I think that there's a couple of things. There were definitely moments. There were definitely a couple of pivotal moments that shaped me being a fan of role playing, um, not just like playing games and loving fantasy, but loving the idea of portraying characters. Yeah. Um, my earliest one is playing Baldur's Gate 2. Mm, and yes, just the same. voice acting and the setting and the, the storylines and the underdog, like everything in that game, I just fell in love with. And I realized that this was a super cool world and I wanted to learn more. And I started like going out and trying to find out more about the books. Um, the very first time I ever played a MUD, uh, these kind of like text-based online you know, chat rooms, but with a role-playing game attached to it. And mm -hmm. there were some really heavy role players and they would have these big, you know, you know, online RP kind of storylines going on that I just completely fell for. Um, and then it was the first time, first time playing D and D uh, it was, it, you know, it's one of those questions that I think in podcasts, everyone's like, how did you start playing D and D and stuff right. like that? Um, and my, my kind of approach to it isn't particularly interesting, but it was me and my friends, um, we were all into this stuff, all into Warhammer and, and video games. And in our local comic store, they had the starter set for third edition D&D. &D. And we couldn't, not one of us could afford it on our own. So we saved up a week's worth of lunch money effectively. Um, and then we went back in the next weekend and we were like, right, we bought the box together and we rushed it back to mine. We all took the train home to my place. We got it out and we looked at it and we suddenly realized, oh, we have to learn these rules and somebody has to be the dungeon master. Yeah. And I think that they left it with me at my house. And then that just naturally turned into Mark's the DM because he's got the game and it's at his house and he's learned the rules right. and stuff. Um, and then it all just kind of flowed from there, basically. And, and so you, you DM the High Rollers campaign. We'll talk about that in a second. Mm. But uh, another question, it might just be a, a podcast question, but it's one I like to ask <laughs> is, so, so you kind of became... DM by default because the box oh, yeah. got left with you. Oh yeah. Um, is that as you've played more and I assume had the opportunity to also be a character, do you find that you gravitate naturally more towards the, the, the player role or the DM role? Cause, cause some people I love, I will DM, mm. but I love playing. Oh yeah. Like, like that's where like my passion is. But some people are like, no, no, I really want to spend four hours a week preparing a story for other people to do. And I'm like, I'm glad you exist. You know, it's a funny one. I think that, you know, if I was given the choice of like, hey, you can just be a player every week and you can just be a cat, like, yeah, sure, I'd love that. <laughs> I'm not going to say yeah. no. Um, I love playing. It's something I don't get to do very much, but when I do get to mm -hmm. do it, I really enjoy it. And I'm sure we'll talk about crit roll and stuff like that later. But yeah. um, GMing is, you know, when we started playing, I was the forever DM. When me and my friends in high school, that was, you know, I was the GM. But then I was quite lucky in that as we got a bit older, we went into college. Uh, my best friend at the time, he took over GMing 
for what was the longest career when I was uh, the longest campaign when I was when I was younger. So I got to play in a campaign that lasted about two years, um, and I think that that's where my tendency towards altitis uh, emerged because it was uh, you know a different edition of D and D. It was much easier to die, um, and my characters wouldn't go. They wouldn't last longer than sort of two or three months. It was kind of became a running joke with me and my friends that my characters would just get killed through just bad luck, you know, like, oh, failed a saving throw against, you know, Beholder turning me to stone. Well, that's that character done. And they sure. just stopped trying to resurrect me. So I, I played a lot of different characters and I think that that stuck with me. And so I enjoy kind of dipping in, playing a character for a bit and then coming back to my yeah, comfortable yeah. role of the GM and then dipping back into a character and stuff like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that, that's the fun thing I mentioned, uh, the stream that uh, when this airs will have happened already, but, mm. but that's, what's exciting for me. I've played the same character in a campaign for a while now. Um, but I mm. do love the idea of like dipping in, you know, trying something you've never tried before a turtle barbarian. Yeah. I'm going to go, you know, check out this thing I've never tried and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's perfect for that. Like one shots are great for those kind of experiences, but being a DM is as well. Like, I feel like I kind of get those acting chops and that kind of like desire sure, to play yeah. all these different characters with the DMing. Um, I love playing NPCs. It's one of my favorite parts. So that's kind of fills that role for yeah. me, basically. Um, but yeah, like I, I think with playing, it's when you can really dig into a character, like when you're going to be there every week right. playing a character and you can really invest in them. And if the group around you are invested as well, there's, I don't think there's a better feeling than that. I think that that's one of the best, best feelings in an, in an RPG that you can really have. Yeah, when everyone's showing up for that collaborative storytelling and putting the same amount of effort in and being met with, you know, equal amount of effort to build a story together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So High Rollers, you've been doing it, you said, for about four years. Was that your first kind of foray into streaming a game? Because um, yeah. I guess that would have been, what, like 2016, right? So yeah. streaming, streaming games was still somewhat new at that point. Crit Critical Role was out, but I don't think, and I guess uh, Acquisitions Inc. might have been the other one. That was it. And even they, they weren't streaming. That was like a once a, you know, a couple of times a year right, at PAX right. or the podcast and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a funny story. So, um, you know, it, the way that it all started was that, um, with high rollers, we stream, we have our own channel, we have our own platform, mm -hmm. but we also stream to the Yogscast network, uh, which is a group of UK YouTubers and things like that. And it all really started. I was working, um, as a social media manager for the company. Um, and at Christmas, they do this big charity live stream where they do a whole month of different charity streams. Okay. And as part of that, I ran a Star Wars Fantasy Flight Systems uh, game for some of my friends there, and it went down really well. People really enjoyed it. It was really funny. People had never really seen that kind of like proper role-playing game uh, mm -hmm. managed before. They'd seen some of the more comedic stuff, but not a proper like full-on game, you know, right. with proper dice rolls and stuff. So... That went down really well, and Critical Role was massive at the time, and Matt and I have been friends for years. I've been hearing about Vox Machina since before they started the streams, so I was massively into it, watching it every week. And the guys who run the Yogscast basically said, listen, you know, would you be interested in taking on a stream slot for our kind of schedule you know, to, to fill out our content gap? And myself and a few of our friends, we said, well, how about we did our own D&D show kind of like crit roll you know it's like a proper campaign it's like properly yeah. playing through the rules everyone's got like a character it's an ongoing narrative and we thought you know we'll give it we'll give it a couple of months like i don't think it'll do that well people don't really yeah. know us none of us were streamers well only a couple of us were streamers at the time um, most of us were just staff or friends of friends and we just thought like eh, like three months 
probably will be enough and then we'll probably have to stop the show because I don't think it will do well enough. And right. we were very wrong. <laughs> we were very luckily very, very wrong. It took off in a way that we never expected. People just really enjoyed it and it just developed and built from there, really. It just it kept on, you know, getting bigger and bigger and and uh people just really loved it. So yeah, we just kept kept going <laughs> and never stopping. What do you think the the secret sauce is? Because everyone, everyone now, uh, mm. you know, is is streaming their game, podcasting yeah. their game. You know, fifteen new ones pop up every week, which is great, by the way. If if you want oh, yeah. to, if you want to be creative and put something into the universe, by all means, go do it. But the space is starting to become a little crowded. But at the same time, even early on, you know, like you said, you didn't know if people would be interested or mm. or whatnot. So, what do you think was was y'all's particular? mix was it your your rp your production just happened at the right time all the above i I think there's definitely an element of all of the above i i think it's a mixture of things and i think that the same stuff applies to any of the other shows out there as well i think that you know you look at the success of kurt roll and i think you can put it down to a, a bunch of different things but i think the key elements are good production values i think that ultimately mm-hmm. you know we were very fortunate to be able to play in a room with proper cameras with proper microphones right we had that facility available to us, right? Which was very lucky. We were very fortunate to have that. I think that makes a big difference because the better your audio quality, the better your video quality, the easier it is for the audience to engage and to kind of invest themselves into it. Yeah. Part of that then follows on is I think that it's, it's not necessarily about the RP itself or the storylines itself. I think it's more down to the chemistry of the group. We were all friends um, who just hung out together all the time. We had that very natural, we're friends having a laugh, natural chemistry vibe. And when people can see that, and I think that this is a bigger thing for YouTube and Twitch, people feel a part of it. When you see a bunch of friends sitting together, playing a game, having fun, you can feel part of that. And I think that that's a sure. huge reason why these communities love these shows so much, because a lot of people out there don't have a regular game of D&D that they can go and play. They don't have a regular group of friends that they can sit around with, you know, around a table and physically yeah. enjoy a game together. But with these shows, they can feel like they're part of one. Right. And I think that we, we had that element where it felt very natural. You know, none of us are actors. We're not voice actors. So High Rollers has always had this, uh, I kind of joke about it. It's, it's the kind of like every man's game, right? You, it's the kind of game that you, you could, you walk into and, and feel at home in. Right. Uh, yeah. Because you're just like, oh, these guys are just like me. Like this just feels like, a normal game of D&D. Um, and I think that that's been a big part of its success as well. Um, there's not as much intimidation as there might be with something that's, you know, lots and lots of episodes and features very talented, super good performers <laughs> or, you know, who are all very beautiful, handsome, lovely people as well. <laughs> right. Uh, that right. can be a little intimidating, I think. And I, and I think that, yeah, High Rollers has a bit more of a, an element of normal, uh, normalcy, norm- normality. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, more more it. approachable if you will right? i think so i maybe yeah. i'm wrong about that that's just something that we've had people say to us at like you know at conventions or on reddit and things like that um people have mentioned that uh and just the natural chemistry which i think most groups do have but i think with streaming you get a lot of groups where they're put together because it's like hey we we're making a show we need people who want to come right. and play and yeah. that's a, that's totally a great way of doing it but i think that you lose out on some of that very natural chemistry. And I've been part of those games where like people have said, Hey, can you come and guest star on this show or whatever? And I've not known the people. And you have those kind of like moments where you're like, 
how you know what kind of jokes can i make what kind of like things are they going to react to like you don't have that stuff because you don't know them so i think that 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 is a huge huge help yeah that makes that makes total sense Mm. You, you mentioned um thinking going in okay you know three four months and then you know we'll pull the plug and move on at what point did you realize that that wasn't going to be the case right that like this was a thing that yeah. would be successful well i think after we did it for like um, you know a month two months and the numbers the viewership numbers were just getting bigger like it wasn't going mm-hmm. down more and more people were kind of going hey this this show's pretty cool i'm gonna check this out um the fact that we were having people on twitter and reddit like asking questions like what, what when is this character going to do this what does this mean for this character um really kind of cemented that people were invested in it um mm-hmm. and i remember there was initially when we first started high rollers there was some some conversations we had with some of the people in the in the network um editors and people that had been making youtube and twitch content for a lot longer than us and they were you know kind of advising us like you've got to you've got to keep it fresh like these these are like 3 hours long nobody's going to listen to that you need to edit it down you need to change the genre you need to keep the storylines fresh new characters and i was just like no <laughs> i'm not going to do that <laughs> cuz i knew how well it had worked for crit roll to have this narrative yeah. and one of the things yeah. that i loved about it was it was this ongoing growing storyline i wanted to see where it went i wanted to see how the characters developed and i was like I think there's a lot of people like me who want that stuff and we kind of stuck to our guns and, and we didn't change anything. And yeah, it just kind of continued on. And, and I think that, yeah, when we realized the numbers weren't going down, they were just getting bigger. And, you know, it was one of, you know, the big shows on the network at the time. It was like, Oh yeah, we should, we should probably keep doing this. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, what's cool about the, the space of streaming or podcasting games is that, there are so many people out there who are interested in the content mm. that if you want a game like High Rollers or, or Crit Roll that is that long form, mm. multi-year storytelling, you know, deeply character driven, like you can go and find that. Mm-hmm. If you want something that is highly edited and you know, you know, tight with um, maybe less less dice rolling in front of the viewer and, and just more of the interaction, do that. If you want to yep. show this different people every week, you can do yeah. that too. And all of them can be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and you know, it's the different styles. Like, you know, there are stuff out there, there are shows out there and there are podcasts or streams out there, which are more suited to being funny. There are ones which are more suited to being serious. There are ones which are more suited to, you know, crunchy, like tough combats and like less role playing and more gamey, you know? Um, because you know, we talked about, we talk about this a lot online, but there's, there's no wrong way to play D and D. All of these are absolutely legitimate ways to play your RPG. It just comes down to player preference and now also audience preference, right? Like there are just going to be, you might love Acquisitions Inc, but not like High Rollers. And that's totally fine because Mm -hmm. they're not, not everything can be for you, right? Right. Um, So yeah, I I think that that's a huge part of it as well is that now we can just cater to so many different people. Um, There's so much better diversity and divert, you know, a broad range of content now that people can enjoy. Yeah. What do you think it is about D&D in particular that has kind of made it the, the game of choice, if you will, for, for many streams? Obviously, there, there are all sorts of systems mm. out there. There are great games that oh, people yeah. love to play. But for one reason or another, D&D has kind of been, and I think I, I have an answer to this personally, but I'm kind of curious what your take is on why that one has really grabbed people's 
imaginations as far as streaming and production goes. Yeah. I Well, I mean, you know, talking as, as completely as somebody who makes this kind of content as well, there's an element of like, when we first started, you know, there was a decision of should we play a different system? Should we play D&D? And I was just like, look, D&D is the game everybody knows. Like, even yeah. if they don't know the rules, they've heard of it, right? Like, everyone's heard of Dungeons of Dragons. Um, the amount of times people will talk about, like, a Star Wars RPG show that I've done, but they'll say, oh, the Star Wars D&D. They, they just call it Star Wars D&D. Right. Because to them, right. D&D is every role-playing game ever. It's, it's a style of game. It's, it's also a brand, and it's also a type of game, but... Some people just don't make that distinction. Sure. I, I also think that 5th edition's mechanics, they've right. made it the yeah. most accessible they can. You know, sure, it's still a bit complicated. There's still some dumb stuff in there that I really wish wasn't in there. But it's way more accessible than it's ever been. It's kind of easy to understand when you're watching it. You roll the d20, you add a number, the DM has a secret number in their head, and if they beat it, you win. And if you don't, you lose. That's kind of like, for an audience perspective, Kind of all you need to know, really, is that yeah. that's how it's going to go down. And then all the different spells and mechanics and things, you know, will will add complexity for those who want it. Um, it, it is an interesting one. I think that it, it's very much that kind of like brand domination. Do you know what I mean? Like where it's yeah. like, you know, if you say hamburgers, people will go like McDonald's or they'll think of like the big chains before of anything else, even if it's right. better every, anywhere else their minds will go to what is most recognized. And I think that that's very much the case with D&D as well. What are, the, uh, what are some of those things that you wish were changed or different? <laughs> I, I mean, there's a lot of different things. One of the big ones for me with, I've, I've run a few different games for new players. And the thing that always trips me up trying to explain it is ability scores and then ability score modifier. Because a person who knows nothing about D&D and I, they go, uh, okay, my strength is 16. Do I add 16? And I'm like, no, no, no. That 16 actually means a plus three and you add that to your right. deck. And I'm it's just an like, unnecessary step to oh, get you to the modifier. Just yeah. give them the plus three. You know, yeah. like when you make your stats, why not just have you get a plus three, a plus two, a, a, you know, two plus ones. Right. And, you know, a lot of other systems do that now. And I think that that's more modern games design is they just give you the modifiers. Sure. Um, but I think that a lot of people would miss out on the kind of random generation and things like that. Um, I'm just trying to think of like other things. There's there's just a lot of com like unnecessary complexity in certain right, things as well. Yeah. Spell slots, like the fact that every different class is like, right, okay, you're a warlock, so you get this many spell slots, but you get them back on a short rest. But you're a wizard, which means you can prepare different spells every day. But you're a cleric, which means you have all of these spells, but you have to pick which ones you prepare. It's just like... And if you multi-class, now you get this table. Oh. But if you're this, you multi-class, you get this table. Yeah. <laughs> And it's fine for experienced gamers and sure. people like us that have been playing the game for ages. And once you get into the game, it's easy to learn. But trying to explain that to a brand new player, that's a tricky. Like that, that can be a bit of a challenge. Like just, it doesn't make sense. I think the first time I played, I spent two weeks watching YouTube videos trying to explain <laughs> spell slots to me. And I was like, right. I, was like I, I don't think I'm a dumb person. I was like, no. but I just, this just doesn't make any sense to me. It's just not natural, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. like a weird way of phrasing Until it. Until like, you're your brain gets it, yeah. Exactly. And if you're coming from video games where you're used to having things like mana points and stuff right. like that, that would probably make more natural sense to you. But sure. that kind of goes against some of the traditional legacy elements of the game that have, have stuck around. Yeah, it's, it's just funny things like that. Yeah, where having kind of quirky elements, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. New players just sometimes it's, 
the hardest thing to explain is the stuff that you just take for granted now because you're right. just like, oh, there's, there's spell slots. I understand how they work. How can you not understand it? They just but make sense. Yeah. They just make sense. Yeah, exactly. So what is it like being a, and I don't know if this is even the right term, but being a D&D celebrity, if you will, is, is that weird? <laughs> like, was there kind of a moment where you were like, oh, I'm going to a convention and people know who I am and I'm here to be like, or oh, what is that like? Oh man. I mean, I think celebrity is a very strong, like celebrity to me is like, it's so big as well. Like, right. People like Joe Manganiello and Dan Brownwell, they're D and D celebrities, right? Like, sure. you know, Matthew Mercer, D and D celebrity. I think that for the rest of us, like D and D influencer is kind of a good word because okay. we do have influence. It sounds really big headed and kind of douchey, but it's true. Like you can recommend a product and people will go and check it out or you right. can kind of give an opinion and people will, you know, perhaps take that on as their own opinion and stuff. So I think D&D Influencer works. It is very weird. <laughs> Let me tell you, it is weird. Um, you know, I was a kid who grew up and I listened to Ack Inc. And, and, you know, loved all of that stuff. And I played D&D. And I, I will never forget, like, being at my first, you know, proper convention, MCM Comic Con. We had, like, a little stand for the Yogscast. And I was still an employee, but there was a, a high roller signing for uh, part of the day. Mm -hmm. um, it was, like, an hour. And people coming up and saying, you are the reason I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons now. Like, you are the reason I'm DMing a campaign yeah. for the first time. And I still get that today. And it is one of the best, the greatest things you can ever be told is to know that you've inspired somebody sure. to take on a hobby that you love so much. But also, it's, it's, it's nuts. Like, yeah. you're just there. Like, why me? Like, I haven't, I don't deserve this. I, I, I'm just a guy. Like, yeah. I'm not any different to, to anybody else, except I've been doing this for a long time. That's the only difference is that you've just started and I've been doing it for like 13 years, 12 years. Um, and yeah, it is weird. Like there's, there's so much about it that's both good and bad, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you've ever thought that you've had trouble with somebody being a backseat gamer, let me tell you, when you've got, you know, 3,000 people in Twitch chat yelling at you that you've got a rules wrong, it's very different. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, people are very critic critical of like decisions that you make. You know, I've had to really kind of learn to acknowledge that people might get upset with things that happen in the game. You know, people will really be like, you're out to kill this player. You're, you're trying to kill this player. You're trying to ruin their plans. And you have to kind of be like, Hey, listen, I know it might seem that way. I don't know if you play a lot of D and D but I'm really not. This is how it goes right. down. This is what I prepared. You know, I am on their side. Um, and you really have to try and kind of understand where they're coming from in that they care about the show. They care about these characters mm -hmm. and they, a lot of the times they don't play D and D themselves. So they don't know that you're not trying to be mean or the other scenario is that they've had a bad DM who has been like that before sure, and yeah. they just immediately kind of project that onto you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so that's sometimes a bit of a difficult thing to deal with. You know, it, it's not in a kind of like, oh, my life is so hard way, but in a like, oh God, like I'm actually affecting people's enjoyment of this show. And, and, you know, you start second guessing like your decisions as a DM, like, is this going to upset people or should I just do what's, you know, and then eventually I've kind of learned that like, I just need to do what's fun for the players and, right. you know, the audience will, will come around to it. Um, but it's also amazing. Like, you know, it, this is my job now. <laughs> this is right. my full-time career and i could not ask for a better thing to do in my life you know it's it's yeah, everything about it is magical so yeah it's uh weird but awesome <laughs> that, that that seems like a pretty good way to uh to tie it up weird but awesome 
Um, <laughs> you, you guys, so you guys stream the game live, right? Yes. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So, so I, I've been wondering, and this would probably be a good question for, you know, Matt or the, or the crit role people now mm. that they're pre-filming their show, mm. you know, uh, which they just, at the time that we recorded did this last night. Yeah. Um, I wonder, and obviously they're not looking at Twitch while they stream, but I wonder if just the knowledge that you are not live, like sure people are going to be watching and having opinions, but you've removed that a little bit, you know, when, when you're pre pre-filming, if that takes any of that pressure off or if it's still there, I'd, I'd be curious to hear that. Yeah, I we've done a couple of pre-recorded stuff. We've done quite a few like little ten-episode mini-series mm-hmm. for Wizards. We've done some sponsored stuff for High Rollers, and a couple of those we did as pre-recorded because mm, it was okay. just there wasn't a good time for us to do it live, so we right. just pre-recorded them, put them on Twitch. And it is different. It is interesting with High Rollers, and obviously I can't speak for other games out there, but with High Rollers, we really try to say to everyone at the table, don't look at Twitch chat. Um, I actually I don't look at it myself. Mm-hmm. I think most of the players don't. But we have uh, two of them, uh, my friend Chris Trot and Tom, uh, who are part you know, of, of the play- they're two players in High Rollers. They will have it on their phone just in case there's like a technical problem. So they mainly have it there as like a like, stream's gone down, but we right, didn't know yeah. kind of thing like that. Um, but we try to operate in a play as if the cameras aren't there. Like mm-hmm. we try and just play it as if it's a normal game. There's no cameras, there's no audience. Just play it as you would. But I think that that's a nice thing to try and do, but it's quite, it's different in reality. Sure, like, yeah. When you can glance at Twitch chat and everyone's spamming something or like, you know, our technical, uh, you know, the, the, our tech chap who will basically kind of run the stream for us might like in a break turn around and say like, Hey, you guys should know that you've got like crazy high viewers than normal or something like that. And then suddenly you're like, Oh God, like, uh, okay, your head. I, yeah. you know, and you, you need to kind of get yourself out of that and say, sure. oh, right, I'm not going to change anything. Um, and I imagine that, when you do pre-stream it, it takes all of that away because you just can't, it's just not even there. Yeah, You're it doesn't like, even yeah, exist, just, yeah. Just playing D&D. Yeah. Um, I know when I did the, I did a, uh, I did a My Little Pony one-shot for Critical Role and oh, that was yeah. pre-recorded. Oh yeah, I remember that, yeah. And that had the same kind of vibe of like, we were all just sat in a room, it wasn't live, we didn't have right. to worry about anything, we could just basically play and, you know, there was that safety net of knowing if we needed to cut, we could like take a break and, and do stuff and things like that. So yeah, I imagine that that does make a kind of take some of that pressure away. Sure. So, so you've been doing this now for a few years, the, the show's up, like you said, you, you go to conventions, you're involved with stuff with wizards, um, obviously critical role. And that might be the answer to this question, but has <laughs> there been, has there been something or like a singular thing that has come definitively from you, you streaming a game and being in this community as, as a influencer, if you will, that you're just like, holy shit, I can't believe I got to do blank. Yeah, I mean, or all of it. I mean, there's definitely an all of it, but the two there's two things in particular, mm-hmm. and that was the first um, time Wizards of the Coast invited us out to be part of the stream of Annihilation, the very first D and D streaming event. Um, that was, I mean, no, like literally being a a fanboy. Like I, I was there, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. it's Chris Perkins. That's that's Chris Perkins there. I'm just like. And then he'd come up and he'd be like, hey, Mark, great to meet you. And I'm just like, Chris Perkins knows my name. That's, <laughs> that's a thing that's happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I met Jerry Hawkins. Like, Jerry is somebody that I've loved his stuff for so sure, long. Sure, yeah. And we're now really good friends. Like, we talk about Warhammer and we hang out at, like, PAX and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, that's the same thing there where I was just like, you know, 
I just couldn't believe it, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and like being in those streams. And then the second one is, and I, you know, I talked about this recently on Twitter a bit with it being the the hundredth episode for Critical Role, but my guest appearance on Critical Role is one of my most treasured memories. Like, you know, along it's up there with like first launching high rollers and right. you know, Al, you know, being in the D D live stuff and things like that. Not because well, it's kind of like, it's weird because Matt's been such a, a friend of mine for so long. Like we've gone out and partied and got drunk together and I've been sick over his shoes and like we've, we've had some crazy times. Yeah. So Matt's just like my buddy, but mm-hmm. the rest of them, like people like Laura and Travis, who are these legendary voice actors and actresses. And it's just like, I'm sat like right next to them. Oh, there's Liam. Hey buddy. <laughs> it's just, you know. And yeah. knowing how many people were there. And then it's also the response afterwards, right? Like sure, yeah. the crit the critic community just oh, man, nuts. Like so loving and welcoming and just just took to that character and to me being part of it and just embraced it so wonderfully. Um, just such a treasured, precious memory, really. Yeah. Um, spending any time with those guys is is just wonderful. Well, you know what? Let, let's dig into that a little bit more. Sure. But first, let's do a quick promo for another one of my sponsors, guys that I always <laughs> like to shout out. Was that a good segue? Was that solid? That's that, called absolutely. a tease no, definitely. in the industry, I love it. right? Um, Talon and Claw. Uh, you guys know them. You love them. They make just beautiful handmade wooden accessories for your D&D games. They make gorgeous DM screens, uh, dice vaults. They're always coming out with awesome new stuff. I'm very excited because I've been getting pictures of the laser engraving machine that Anthony at Talon and Claw just got where he's going to be engraving my, uh, my whiskey barrel dice vault. So I'm very excited about that. Just big fans of them. They're big supporters of the show uh, literally since the beginning. So you guys should definitely go check them out. Talonandclaw.etsy.com. You can use the code roll persuasion at checkout and save 10% on your order, but uh, just go and look, you're going to love their stuff. Um, great people. I love that we get to work with small businesses and the community who are doing awesome stuff uh, for gamers and for everyone who just loves this whole nerdy D and D world that we all get to be a part of. So talent and claw big shout out to them each and every week. Really appreciate them. Awesome. But back to critical role. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't so want to wa- interrupt, but it sounded very, they sound like really cool. Yeah. You should definitely <laughs> check them out. I don't know if they ship to the UK, but they should. So walk me through, like you said, you've been friends with Matt. You've thrown up on his shoes, um, <laughs> which is really the true mark. That's that's really what oh, you know man. the, the, yeah, the friendship oof, up there. Yeah, there's some stories there. But yeah. yes, yes. Carry so, on. <laughs> so at what point uh, did he start talking to you about you know being on the show? Kind of how did that oh, whole man. process go down? Walk yeah. me through it. So I mean, it's um, it's funny because I have been going behind the scenes of Crit Roll for Campaign One, like since it started. I think mm-hmm. the I was in the in the studios for their. Vox Marker fight against Kavan, which is like episode 10. It's like really early. Yeah. And then whenever I was visiting the US for, you know, work stuff, because at the time I was working in um, video in the video games industry as a community manager, and I would constantly be out in Los Angeles visiting um, Orange County. Right. And whenever I was over, I'd be like, hey, can I come to the studio? You know, can I just come and watch an episode? And I'd come by. And there, there was always the conversation with Matt of just like, he was like, we're going to get you on one day, buddy. One day we're going to make it happen. And it was always, but it was always difficult to do. And like Vox sure, Marketing was a whole sure. thing. And, and I think once I had, once High Rollers was a thing, we announced it was coming out, you know, we'd had the success of it. It kind of, that, that was like a great opportunity. And like sure, when, yeah. when they started campaign two, Matt was like, we're going to, this, we're going to make it happen. Like we're going to make it happen at some point. 
Um, and then luckily with things like D&D Live, it just tied in super well with that. And it was the, the stream of many eyes, the, the uh, Dragon Heist Waterdeep um, module. And it was just one of those things where I was just like, hey, can't wait to see you. Looking forward to coming and hanging out in LA. We should, we should try and get together and do some stuff. And Matt was just like, are you free on the Thursday? Like, can you be free on the Thursday? Can we make this? Can we get you on as a guest? And yeah. it was, I was just like, yes, of course. I will, whatever, I'll, I'll fly in. I'll sleep under a bridge if I right. have to, whatever I need to do. Yeah. Um, and then it's just a, basically a process of like, you know, Matt would basically go, do you have any character ideas? Like, you know, are there any character concepts? And I had a concept that I'd been working on for a while. I had taken an idea from the Taldore campaign guide, which I'd bought before, and I, there was the background of ex-cultist, or mm-hmm. like a uh, previous, you know, uh, cultist member. Um, and I really liked that concept, and I started thinking about, like, uh, you know, what are some of the Exandria, you know, like, betrayer gods that I could work in, and, and the concept of Kaliana kind of came together from two parts. Yeah. The idea of a draconic sorceress with, like, uh, draconic heart features, and then combining it with a cult of Tiamat and, and everything else. Um, kind of came together, sent all of those details to Matt. We kind of hedged out a couple of things. There's a few details that still have, uh, will probably never be revealed, but I'm not under liberty to reveal them about the character sure. yet, like her origins and stuff. Um, but we came up with like a, well, here's like the situation. This is roughly what the players are going to be doing. Mm-hmm. How can we get you involved? Sent over the description, got the artwork, and then it was basically a come to the studio on the Thursday and make it know, happen make it happen and i remember i got there very early because <laughs> i was just like trying to get acclimated i, I like... just ugh. you know it was it, you just can't like you can't sit on your hands like sitting yeah. in a hotel room you're just i'm just, just twitching i remember in fact actually the day because i'd landed two days before mm-hmm. in los angeles and i walked to i walked miles to go to a game store because i wanted to see if i could get dice like that matched her color scheme Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't buy any of it on the way in. I had bought a Hero Forge miniature and had it, it arrived the day before I flew out. So I stayed up till three in the morning painting her miniature and like right. putting it in a vault, putting it in my luggage, taking it with me. Um, and then, yeah, turning up on the day, got there super early. I think it was pretty much just Marisha and Liam and Tallison were in the studio along with some other folks. Um, and just, yeah, like just kind of hang- hanging out with them, had some lunch. And then it's, it's like, right, everyone, let's get in positions. And the way it works is, is this was, I think, back in their old studio before they okay, had their yeah. own new studio. Um, Have you, you, just, you've been to the new studio, I assume, right? Yes. Yeah, I think I it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's a gorgeous. I, yeah, oh, I'm so envious of that studio. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but this was at the old Geek and Sundry mm-hmm. one. Gotcha. And they had basically a little chair that's just off camera. It's like next to Matt, but you're not, you can't be seen from any of the cameras. Right. And it was basically like, right, sit here. And then when Matt calls you when up, go and take your seat. Yeah. And you're just sat there for like the whole intro. And I've got like a drink and I, I stole some whiskey and some Coke. And I had like a big whiskey and Coke because I was nervous as hell. Sure. And you're just there like, <laughs> and then you, then you go and, you know, Matt says, does the introduction and then it's, it's sit down and, and go time. Yeah. Um, and it, it just went by like a blur. Like I, I, it, so much of it, I probably don't even remember. I'd have to watch the episode back because you're just there trying to kind of like keep tabs on everything yeah, and engage yeah. with everybody and, and be a good player. You know, you don't want to go on and not be a very good player. So yeah, it was, uh, it was an experience, man. Really, really was. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that. <laughs> I, I, 
I, I can't. I mean, I'm sure yeah. it was, yeah, like you said, you know, mind blowing. Um, so in, in that episode was one of the early, uh, and now we're deep into just critter territory at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, was, which is fine. Cause I'm sure most of my listeners are too. Um, a controversial episode, if you will, for oh, personally, yeah. some very dumb reasons. I thought <laughs> on, on part of the fans, I was just like, why are people upset? Was, I don't know. T- tell me about that. If you don't mind, like the whole, the, yeah, the whole incident, like, oh, cause man. that was related to whole, your whole storyline yeah, and then like well, became a thing. Right. So it's so funny. And Spoiler it, it alerts, back, I guess, if you haven't watched that. I mean, yet. it's like t- episode 21. Right. Like they're at like episode it's too 100 late at this now. Point, yeah. Um, so it's really interesting because it, it ties back into something I mentioned earlier, which is understanding that players get really invested in these characters. Right. And a lot of them don't play. They don't understand those table dynamics. They also, and this is something which came up, a lot of folks don't understand that information that's presented by an NPC or the DM isn't always entirely accurate. Sure. So one of the things that Matt and I discussed was that Callie was after one of these relics, this, this, these relics of this cult of Tiamat. We didn't talk about, all we knew that was the relic was some sort of bowl and it was part of like some small ritual. Right. And that was it. That was really all it was. Yeah. Then obviously, you know, in character, Callie doesn't know how important it is. She just knows I'm here to find this relic. It's part of this cult of Tiamat. She's pretty bad. I, I want to destroy it. That's, that's, that was what I knew as the character. Right. Then you get a paranoid character like Caleb Wittergast. Caleb, who is terrified of magic and like, you know, people, you know, not being, you know, not trusting everybody. Right. And that really fueled into that whole thing where I think the audience and a little bit of like fueled by, by Caleb, and this isn't Liam because Liam's a smart guy who knows how this stuff goes, but he right. plays his character really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caleb's fear and paranoia made this bowl way scarier than it actually was. Like it is like a nothing item. It was really yeah. just like a, like, you know, allows you to like, kind of like cast commune or something like that once per day kind of vibe you know i don't even know like me and matt never talked about what it could actually do because the plan was to get it and destroy it um but you know it really wasn't a big deal and then obviously it turned into this really kind of like conflicting character moment where you've got a great example of characters who are on very different ends of alignment spectrums but also character development and backstory where you've got like jester and beau who are you know, against authority who are about making your own choices, fuck the consequences. And Caleb, who very much knows that, that there are consequences and they right. can sometimes be very bad. Yeah. And it just becomes this in- interesting uh, dichotomy of, of these two things. And then Callie's caught in the middle. Um, and I remember, like, there's also an element of knowing I'm a guest and I'm only here for one episode and I've got to get out. Like, I've got yeah. to, to have yeah. an out for my character. Um, and so that's why, like, I think at the end, like I was kind of, I made, I, I think I said something along the lines of like, as Callie, I was like, Hey, you can use your spells to find out if I'm telling the truth. Like you can trust me, um, as a way to kind of be like, Liam, you need to trust me. <laughs> um, and it, it worked out in the end, but yeah, yeah it, it was looking back on that and knowing what I knew then. And obviously you didn't want to give away spoilers back then, but like sure. knowing that it was really this nothing thing. And there are people having these full blown arguments of like, they couldn't trust her. They didn't that this was a powerful relic that could like do something really bad. Of course, blah, blah, blah. No. And it just, you're like, they're just like, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? 
Well, you did, you didn't, you know, some guests have come in and killed Taliesin. So, you know, you, you, uh, well, wow. <laughs> you came out I ahead. mean, it could have gone worse. You're right. Sure. That, that was a whole mess that I avoided. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, I think that's, I think that's interesting. Um, and you know, this could become a whole discussion about fan dynamics, like in, mm. in this industry, but I viewed that as like, like what a fantastic moment for actors, right. For people who are RPing, who are able to bring, like, like you said, this was episode 20 something, right? So a lot of, a lot of backstory hadn't been revealed. You know, people hadn't done a lot of like personal development as their characters yet. And so there was all this baggage, mm. um, that was tension. being very accurate. Yeah. Tension accurately portrayed and acted out, which I thought made for a great scene. Like tension yeah. makes for great moments oh. when you have good actors. Yeah. But then other people, I, I think some people get uncomfortable or, or think like, oh, well, a thing should have gone this way. It's a very mm. meta view of very yeah, gritty moments. And there's also like, you know, I remember I actually kind of commented on it on at least it was a YouTube comment or a Reddit comment or something like that, because, you know, as somebody who was there, there were people who were like, you could tell that Liam was like really mad at me. And I was like, no, you really, they weren't like as yeah. the person who was literally there at the table. They weren't. They are great friends who understand each other as performers who were playing their characters and right. enjoying a really tense moment. And, and me, like, you know, I, I love acting. I am nowhere even close to the, the level of, like, you know, expertise and, and practice that these guys are at. But for me, like, being in that moment, like, I remember getting choked up, like, talking to Caleb, you know, as Callie, because there was this character who was like, please trust me, like, please believe me. And having that really heartfelt with a player who's, like, right next to you and being able to have that connection yeah. And then having the like Jester backing Callie up and Bo trying to like, you know, on her side as well. It was such a great moment. Like it was like as a guest player, holy crap, yeah. what an amazing, yeah. intense, emotive moment to to have. Um it was it was amazing. And and I think that it was a kind of there's a little bit of a personal like, oh, I'm kind of sad that people genuinely got upset about it in the comments because I think it was a really cool moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, you know, it was kind of a bit sad to know that people took it a bit too far, you know, sure. externally. But again, that comes down to, like you said, fan dynamics. And this is just the way. And I think it's just because people care. Like, mm -hmm. it's because they care so much that they, they, they don't want people to be upset. They don't want Liam and Marisha to be mad at each other. So they kind of create this like, oh, but they are, but they're not. <laughs> Right. And it, it's difficult, you know, it's a tricky yeah. thing. So then real quick, which, by the way, awesome. I'm, uh, I'm filled with, uh, you know, jealousy essentially, um, <laughs> at what, at such an awesome experience, but it's super cool to get to hear you talk about it. Oh man. Yeah. So no. talk about the, about the aftermath. Cause, um, I'm, like you said, I mean the, the whole like critter hug afterwards, right? Like fan art and people, you know, cosplaying as your yeah. character. What, what is it like? And maybe you've had this also with high rollers as well. Yeah. Just in general, what is it like to create something with your friends that people then embrace and want to make their own, whether that's through art or cosplay or music or whatever it might be? As somebody who spent their child, like teenage years, uh, I was a cosplayer. Like I mm -hmm. was part of the UK cosplay scene, like for years. That was a big part of like my hobbies. I love making fan art. You know, my my fiance is an illustrator who who you know got her career through doing fan art. To see people like my, there are to see people who do fan art of high rollers of of these campaigns, these worlds, the NPCs, yeah, blows me away. <laughs> it's 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 one of those things where I will never not be happy to see it done. Yeah. Um, you know it it just lightens up a day. Like when you see somebody who's who's you know 
made this incredible piece of art or people who have just poured their heart and soul into making something and you you think uh, we're the cause of that we're the inspiration for that it, it, it sounds so dopey and cheesy to talk about it in this way but it really is special like yeah. you can't begin to describe it like to know that you've had that much of an impact on somebody right um, with Callie, it's a funny one. The Callie cosplay, I love it. Like, oh my God. Every time people post like Kaliana artwork or, or cosplay, I love it. But there's almost a, a difference there where like, I love it, but in a kind of like, I'm sharing it way, as opposed mm -hmm. to like, I, I feel like I'm not responsible for the inspiration as much as I am with the high roller stuff, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. No, like, I, so, I feel yeah. like Callie is a character I share with the critic community, maybe because she's a different gender to me. Like it's not based on me as a person. It doesn't feel like it's my thing. It's it's a character. It's, yeah. She's a person I'm sharing, as opposed to stuff like High Rollers, where it feels like my stuff that people mm. then love and create their own you know works from. Um, I don't know. There's like a weird distinction in my yeah. head that I can't quite explain. But man, I love it. I absolutely adore it to bits, and um, I'm still hoping one day that I can uh, I can pull off a Cali cosplay myself as well. That's one thing I've always. Yeah wanted to do is do like an mcm like because they have these big cosplay meets for the critters right and i've always wanted to kind of go to one and try and see if i can get away with nobody realizing it's me and kind of just take photos and stuff and then afterwards yeah. kind of post it and be like oh it's great to see everybody yeah. and stuff um because i that think that'd be, be fun. really fun yeah that'd be really fun so i know you mentioned uh you mentioned before we started that you know there's lots of stuff you can't talk about which which by the way is a super cool line like and, and I tell it people all the time, so like oh, I'd love to share this with you, but you know, but NDAs. I just can't. <laughs> but the cool thing is about an NDA is you can claim to be under one, whether you are or not, and no one can prove you wrong. Nobody so can prove you wrong. I, I should exactly. probably start claiming that. But uh, do you have do you have anything coming up that uh, that you are excited about? Whether it's more high roller stuff or you know, <sighs> life in general. Not necessarily coming up. I mean, I there's there's a couple there's two things that I'd love to be able to tell people about, but I really can't. Um, and I know one of them is so close to being publicly announced, so it's really annoying. Um, but Erois, which is our High Rollers campaign, it's our second mm -hmm. campaign. We did uh, our first campaign was called Lightfall. Our current one is called Erois. Uh, it just turned two. We've been doing it for two years now. Um, uh, it, it's the thing I'm most proud of. Like I, I, I genuinely think it's a really good D and D show. Um, it's actually one where outside of the uk i don't know how many people know about it definitely mm -hmm. i feel that it's not you know because it's a uk-based show a lot of media sure. like websites and, and news articles don't really cover it which is understandable um uh and it's really great that a lot of these places cover more than just critical role now i see rivals of Waterdeep and a lot of other yeah. shows um uh, venture maidens and stuff get a lot of shout outs as well which is great well, so what, what's what's the elevator pitch for it then for people who who haven't checked it out what can they expect if they dive into it so Erois is, uh, the elevator pitch for Erois is, is a Dungeons and Dragons campaign inspired by the likes of Star Wars and Final Fantasy, where it is a blend of, it is a blend of sci-fi and fantasy, but it leans more towards the fantasy. It's mm. more about the kind of, um, technology is all crystals and magic and stuff like that. And there are yeah. giant airships and flying cities and things like that. But it's also developed into a very... Um, grand sweeping campaign where there are some really big twists that came about because of player decisions that I didn't anticipate and they have taken the campaign in very interesting directions. It really is a campaign where I don't think you can really tell what's going to happen um, mm -hmm. next. Like they're, they're, <laughs> some wacky stuff happens. Yeah. Um, but it's also, 
it's it's played by people that you could sit around and play the table with you know sure. we make jokes they make fun of me for messing up my words all the time uh we have lots of ongoing jokes about how i constantly mess up stuff that i'm saying freezing hot nap neck instead of uh snap necks and things like that um you know we'll laugh at each other hysterically because somebody's biscuit fell in their cup of tea it, it's very casual and i think that that's uh, something that a lot of people can relate to um, yeah. but it also features very very cool characters very well-developed characters um characters that you can really kind of like enjoy watching uh, i think that's a big one and then in a very cool epic sci-fi fantasy world uh, that kind of combines everything together um and that's still going strong they, they've just reached level 11 um i'm planning to take the campaign to level 20 uh there's a lot of extra planar stuff going on and they're kind of in that at realm now sure, and it's getting yeah. bigger and bigger stakes um so that's the current plan um we also just started a curse of strad playthrough which has become mm. like my little kind of little treat as a dm um yeah. where it's I've i'm taken in a strad campaign strad. right now so I, I will have to check this out yeah well it, it's fun because um we started it because we wanted to do a new midweek stream we wanted to do an extra dnd game it's only two hours an episode as opposed to the three to four oh, okay. high rollers um, but the, the big thing with it was, is, uh, Chris who plays in high rollers, he ran it for me several years ago. And so when we were talking about the campaign, I knew that he would be going into it kind of knowing a lot of the module already. Right. So I've made big changes, but because it's a module, all the prep work is mostly done. And then I'll normally go in, find something and then flip it on its head or change it massively. Yeah. And that's giving enough to make it really, really different. Um, and there's a couple of moments if you if you're playing through a, a Strad campaign or if you've played a, a Strad campaign, I think it's like episode three. There's like something that happens where you'll go, "Hang on a minute, <laughs> okay, what, <laughs> that didn't happen. How is this going to work? Uh, yeah, and it really changes things up. Um, okay. And that's become really fun. It's slightly darker. It's slightly more serious. Sure, we've already yeah. had characters making pacts with the dark powers of Barovia. Um, Asmodeus is involved in some stuff. Um, so it's getting kind of like. And we've had like some really good character interactions as well. And I think that that's become like a, another really good show. If you didn't want to watch 78 episodes of our other campaign, Curse of Strahd is a, is a great way to kind of jump in and get to know the players before you, you check out our other stuff. So. Well, that's awesome. I think I will definitely, um, I'll <laughs> definitely check out Strahd. I just love the whole, you know, kind of gothic horror. Oh, it's, so it's cool. All about it. So yeah. Oh. Uh, anything that I can get extra of that, I'm down for so yeah. we'll check it out is that one it, on podcast as well or is it youtube podcast, only podcast youtube and twitch so it's available Excellent. pretty much everywhere um you can check it all like all of our podcasts is available spotify you know podbean wherever you listen to your podcast you can find high rollers um and then it goes up on youtube and also our twitch vods are open for everybody you don't need to be a subscriber to, to watch the twitch vods either oh, very nice um so so come and check that out and yeah there's uh yeah it, it's that gothic element has been really fun i i normally it's become like a kind of way of opening the show is I write a little poem uh, for each uh, every couple of weeks that kind yeah. of reflects on some of the things that may have happened or may come to happen. Um, and it kind of sets that kind of Edgar Allan Poe gothic horror kind of vibe, which yeah, I think is yeah. really fun. That is, that is excellent. Well, <laughs> you know, dude, I, I think we're up against it. So thank yeah. you so much for, for joining me. It's, it's gone by in a flash. I know. Um, I'm sorry for rambling. I tend to do that. <laughs> that is the whole, I tell, I tell every guest that is the whole goal of the show is for me to shut up, get out of the way and let you talk. So 
Oh. That, that's exactly that's exactly Thanks, what man. we wanted. Um, and by the way, guys, for those of you who are Patreon supporters, make sure you stick around after the outro to hear the Zone of Truth segment brought to you by my friends at Smuggler's Coffee, where Mark and I will be chatting. I think we're going to talk about LARPing. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. You were, you're very interested in Empire. I am very excited to hear to. about Empire, yeah. Yeah. So so that Zone of Truth segment is a special bonus segment for my Patreon supporters, anywhere from 15 to more minutes, um, <laughs> talking about just other stuff that my guests are into. Because, you know, none of us are one-dimensional. We all play D&D or games, but we have other things we love. And that is what the Zone of Truth is about, and that is brought to you by my friends at Smuggler's Coffee, store.smugglerscoffee.com. If you want some of the nerdiest, tastiest coffee in the galaxy, you need to check them out because their shit is delicious. Um, <laughs> so you should check. Um, unfortunately, in the UK, I don't think they ship there either, but That's word on the street is you guys drink tea. So well, not me. I'm, okay. I'm a coffee man myself. Well, so next, time next time you come I'm, to the States, exactly. we'll, we'll hook you up. Exactly. But check them out, guys, store.smugglerscoffee.com. Uh, Dave is a good friend and has been involved in the show uh, since the beginning, much like Talon and Claw. So always appreciate their support. Before we go, where can everybody find you, Mark? Where, where can they find uh, high rollers and social and all that? Just give me the dump. Yeah, absolutely. So the best place to find me is on Twitter. Uh, it is just Sherlock, uh, I believe, underscore Humes, uh, which is H-U-L-M-E-S. Uh, it's like Sherlock Holmes, but with a U instead of an O. Um, uh, yeah, so you can find me on there. That's where I tend to do most of like my promotions or if I'm linking to anything I'm doing or if I'm talking about stuff is on there. High Rollers is High Rollers DND. And that's pretty much on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, wherever we can be. Um, Zango, MySpace. Yeah, ex- oh, <laughs> absolutely. Definitely MySpace. Uh, Got to get that late 90s, early 2000s crowd. Um, right. But yeah, you can, you can grab, us, uh, grab us pretty much everywhere. Same with podcast. High Rollers DND. Um, and you can check that out. Yeah. And we'll drop links to everything in the show notes as well. Um, dude, it's been a lot of fun. I'm looking so forward much. to continuing to talk because yes. uh, I'm serious when I like, <laughs> I want you to tell me everything about Empire that you can oh, yeah. in 15 minutes. Absolutely. So uh, if you are not a Patreon supporter, you can go to patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. You can support the show with a few bucks a month. You get access to uh, the back catalog of those bonus segments. You get to hear uh, new guest announcements, secret stuff that I haven't told other people out in the world yet. I tell it to the Patreon backers first. And of course, you get to help make the show a reality. So a big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. A shout out to new supporter, Travis. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You can also support the show for free by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.com. Those reviews help other people find the show. And I happen to think it's a good one. And if you're listening, I hope you think that too and that you want to tell other people. So please make sure you support us there. Get in touch with me, Andrew, at RollForPersuasion.com or RollPersuasion on Twitter. Always love chatting with you guys. And yeah, we'll keep talking with Mark in a minute. But until next time, guys, enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.